You are listening to Lunchtime Movie Review from LunchtimeMovieReview.com, and we are the children of the 80s. Welcome back to Lunchtime Movie Review. I'm Matt. I'm Honky Lips. <laughs> You're not even trying anymore. <laughs> I'm Creamsicle Chris. <laughs> I'm Patrick. And we're back again to review a movie from our childhood. But first, a word from our sponsor. This podcast is brought to you by Dutch Apple Pie. As American as illegal aliens. It's terrific. All right. Who's got our summary this week? That would be me. Creamsicle. Creamsicle. (laughs) This is hot off the freezer. In 1977, Voyager 2 was launched into space to the outermost regions of the universe. It carried an invitation in all languages for alien life forms to visit our planet. Someone, somewhere, listened and accepted our invitation. Someone is coming. Someone like no one she has ever known before. Can you clone a living organism from the hair of a dead man? We're hypothesizing a technology that's probably 100,000 years ahead of us. He has powers we cannot imagine, and the face and touch of the man she loved. John Carpenter's Starman starts off with Voyager 2 flying through an unknown region of space and crashing into a mysterious planet or spaceship of some sort filled with creatures made of electric light. In this opening scene, the alien ship, which seems far enough away from Earth that us humans don't know that they are out there, but still close enough to reach it within the seven years that it was launched, carries a golden disc um, sending greetings to uh, any uh, alien that comes across it. So our intrepid space friends uh, decide to send out a scout ship to make first contact with us. As uh, any 80s movie, when our government finds a UFO that they don't know, uh, they assume it's a uh, Russian threat and shoot the damn thing out of the sky. Uh, The craft crashes into Wisconsin, and an alien in the form of a blue floating ball exits the ship. It uh, stumbles across a grieving widow because um, they're rapid throughout Wisconsin. Uh, <laughs> this widow is played by Karen Allen, who is a few years removed from Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, her character's name is Jenny, who witnesses the alien transform itself into her recently deceased husband, Scott, played by Jeff Bridges. Apparently, they had DNA cloning back in the 80s, and he was able to clone himself out of some hair in a picture book. This star man then uh, snatches up some seven metallic spheres that uh, also appeared during the transformation. And he's going to end up using these spheres throughout the course of the movie to do his star man magic. The first sphere that he uses uh, tells his blue homies back on the ship that the planet is hostile and to get them the hell off of this crazy <laughs> The ship says, sure, we'll come get you, but Wisconsin's just too f***ing cold for us. <laughs> out here in space. So we're going to make you a deal. We're gonna, how about you travel across a risky trip across many states to Arizona? How does that sound? 
And the Starman says, sure, that sounds good to me. So he then uses his second sphere to create a holographic map of the United States and compel Jenny to take him to Meteor Crater in Arizona, which she reluctantly does, and hilarity ensues. Along the way, our duo is tracked by SETI scientist Mark Sherman, played by a very caring Charles Martin Smith, and an over-the-top NSA chief George Fox, played by Richard Jekyll. I don't know how you say Jekyll. It doesn't matter. I don't think he ever did anything after this. <laughs> oh, uh, well, based on this performance, I don't think anybody would want him to. These are the movie's two foils. Well, maybe just one foil because Sherman is uh, pretty sympathetic throughout this film, I thought. Uh, before the government is able to catch up to uh, the Starman, uh, he managed to bring back a deer to life that was killed by our stereotypical redneck. Uh, he brings Jackie, uh, Jackie. He brings Jenny back to life after she was shot by our stereotypical cops, and he also manages to put his Starman moves on Jenny and give her a baby, even though she's infertile. By this time, our heroes used all of his little metallic spheres except for one, so he and Jenny decide to uh, to make it to their final uh, destination by getting past a police barricade and. Uh, interrogation on Interstate 40 by sneaking out on the back of a very open and very visible truck filled with Native Americans. They finally arrive at the crater with the government in hot pursuit, buzzing them overhead as they try and go into the bottom of this big crater. Why his alien friends uh, could have said, hey, we'll meet you at the top, I don't know. As they get to the bottom, the alien ship appears, and during Starman's final goodbye, he gives Jenny his last sphere so she can last sphere so she can give it to his son. He tells her that he will never see her again, and she watches in silence as the mothership leaves, carrying the Starman away. The movie ends with Jenny in the crater alone, an alien artifact in one hand and an electric bun in her oven. These government assholes will just let her walk away without question. I doubt they'll be interested at all in a woman nine months later who's been infertile and her husband's been deceased over a year and she just had an encounter nine months ago with an alien. Does that sum it up pretty well? Whew. Yeah. Let me announce, just for the record, worst road trip movie ever. That's it. Cannonball Run <laughs> and then another 40 or 50 films and then this one. I think it was worse than that. <laughs> right. Well, well, well. Before we start the discussion on that, what what did this do at the box office? It it actually did pretty well. It was it was only the thirtieth highest grossing film in nineteen eighty four. It made uh, just short of twenty nine million dollars. Um, it just finished behind Conan the Destroyer, Dune, uh, The Gods Must Be Crazy. But it did do better than The Last Starfighter, Cannonball Run Two, Matt, and Teachers. Hmm. And I do think Cannibal Run 2 is a worse cross-country film. I would rather rewatch The Gods Must Be Crazy. Whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa. You're going to say this is a better road trip film than Cannibal Run 2? Two. Not the I first Yeah, I don't care. Cannibal Run is a great film. Cannibal Run 2 right. is a turd. Cannibal whoa, whoa, whoa. Which one's shorter? <laughs> That's what I want to watch. Cannonball Run 2 is an absolute crap in the toilet, and it beats this one as a road trip film. So it was pretty popular then, huh? It, it did pretty well. I mean, it was even nominated for an Oscar. Jeff Bridges was nominated for Best Actor this year for this role. Whoa. 
Yeah. In fairness, that does make sense because you you were talking, Jason, about who you think his uh, performance reminds you of. Well, I thought if you put his performance as this alien up against Tom Hanks' performance of Forrest Gump, there's a lot of similarities. So, in my opinion, I thought that uh, Jeff Bridges put too much artard in his alien. <laughs> <laughs> well, so maybe it's just the the Academy really likes artards. And it's- yeah, I mean, he didn't go full artard, but <laughs> <laughs> he went alien artard. That's a very different level of artard. Well, let's talk about Jeff Bridges. What was Jeff Bridges known uh, for doing before this film? Well, Jeff Bridges had done a lot of films throughout the 70s and 80s. He'd never really had a clear breakout hit. He'd just finished – he'd just been in a series of films he'd done Against All Odds, uh, film Kiss Me Goodbye with James Caan and Sally Field, and Tron were the three films he had done pr- leading up to this role. But he wasn't even the first pick for this film. Kevin Bacon actually had been ca- would, had been cast for the role and backed out so he could go do Footloose. Oh, ooh. But he could have done that. He could have given that alien some rhythm. Although Jeff Bridges and Footloose might have been good. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, was he typecasted after Tron of just being the sci-fi guy? No, no, not really. I mean, he he did a couple of sci-fi films. I mean, he's always done a lot of different things, but he just was. I mean, it was a, kind of a last-minute casting, as I said. Kevin Bacon. Not only it just did they want him, had cast and agreed to do it, and then at the last minute backed out to go do Footloose. So Jeff Bridges was kind of a you know last-minute replacement. Mm. What year did this come out? Uh, it came out December fourteenth, nineteen eighty-four. Actually, do you even really- have to ask that anymore. <laughs> I think. Eight, we've got about 80% of the films we do from 84. Must have been the greatest year of Shut film up. releases ever. Uh, we have about 80% of our films from John Carpenter. <laughs> yeah. we, we signed the same contract HBO did with all of us. <laughs> it came out during you know, basically Academy Award season, so it was kind of released for that. I, I thought it was interesting that John, John Carpenter, I read that John Carpenter did this film in order to make a movie that was as dissimilar as possible to the thing, which he was was very disappointed in its success. So I, I think it's funny that he chose a uh, another alien film. Well, this one was uh, completely different. Uh, you know, the thing was uh, with aliens in the cold Arctic, and Starman was aliens in the hot desert. So I think that's a pretty valid... Uh, <laughs> Those were bad aliens killing. This is a good alien who's humping. Yeah. In the thing, they killed dogs. In uh, Starman, he brought uh, little Bambi back to life. Uh, how's that not a tearjerker? <laughs> well, let's talk about <clears throat> some of those scenes in this movie. I, it, to me, it felt like the movie just never found its legs. I never got really invested in this movie uh, because they never made me want to care, and I didn't care. It starts um, the, very, the very beginning starts with not caring, I guess, for me, because uh, my pet peeve, not unlike uh, Leonard Malton, is overlong films and this thing doesn't get started for like 12 minutes i watched it on netflix and i kept hitting the play button to see how far i've gone and i and that scene with her watching uh home film home movies seems to go on forever and it's supposed to set up that she's really troubled because what we learn in the film is that her husband has been dead for over about a year to the day of of her watching these home movies so she is a very troubled woman the, the only good character in this movie that I thought that I liked was Mark Sherman. He's the only one that seemed to uh, to actually had any bit of backstory to him. He's the IRS guy that goes after Capone and Untouchables? Yes. 
he's the only character that actually has some sort of sort of an arc for you to care. So when he ultimately does help them out and become sympathetic towards the end, you, you get you get why because he's just a scientist that wants to ultimately, uh, I guess, do what's right and is interested in the science. Well, wait a minute. Jeff Bridges has an arc. I mean, he starts off as a baby, <laughs> then turns into the Terminator, and then turns into Jeff Bridges. Uh, how did you like that special effects scene, by the way? You know, I thought that was the best one of the entire film. Oh, it, it, but it also had kind of that Nintendo effect where it goes very animated, and then it shifts and then moves. The baby kind of scene was kind of creepy looking and, and moving. Oh, that, very creepy. Yeah. But then as they got to kind of the adolescent boy to kind of adult, I thought it, it felt that kind of that early 80s Nintendo, uh, a la Tron and Star Trek, uh, Star Trek 2 and those kind of special effects. I just say it's much better than the explosion where uh, he comes miraculously through the the fire and it looks like he's in front of it the whole time. Oh yeah, that's a that was a really Nintendo effect. That was pretty yeah. bad. Yeah, glowing in in blue, uh, the blue neon, right? Going back to that opening sequence when he first talks to his people via his first special ball. Uh, <laughs> I, I just I busted out laughing because he looks exactly like Lloyd Bridges did in Airplane when he was <laughs> <laughs> And he's not a very smart alien because they're going to go cross country but they decide to take uh, Karen's 1977 Mustang also known as crap. <laughs> I don't think this thing would have been able to get out of state. Well, but he can keep con- he can keep starting it with his uh, power over uh, machinery. Which they don't really do that much of it's it's sort of weird that he can touch this this car and make it go but that's really all he does sort of magic wise without using one of his special balls except for the uh (laughs) except for the slot machines oh the slot machines right i forgot that yeah and of course they don't question that right some guy coming up with no id winning a half a million dollars yeah, he he has these magical powers, and and do they do they really even show you? We talked about him uh, raising Bambi from the dead. Uh, did they show him using a sphere to do that, or is he just over there kind of doing it? I thought he, he was glowing. Yeah, his, his hand was glowing. glowing. Oh, they do show his hand. That's right. So he yeah. is using a uh, what I like to refer to as a shooter. Right? It looks like a marble, <laughs> the marble shooters. You know, when you were a kid in the forties. Do you guys remember that using the marbles? Well, I didn't use the marbles, but I know what you're talking yeah. about. <laughs> I, I didn't grow up in the 50s. That's what I say. I realized it was a dated – it was a very dated reference. I, I've heard of marbles. I've never played them. Can you get that on an app on my iPhone? <laughs> and he only has seven of these, and that seems like a total waste. I mean – Did he deer, use these wisely? No. That deer, <laughs> that deer is someone's dinner. Now, granted, it was a redneck asshole, but it was still – someone was going to eat that thing. Yeah, there was really that was that was a bad scene, and who cares that this that this uh, uh, that this deer is dead? It was hunted. It wasn't like it was, I don't know, it was tortured or something. That it's not a white rhino. Right. <laughs> right? It's not well, it shows he cares that he does not like death. Yeah, and they they do, and, and that that let's talk about that scene for a second because she's kidnapped, right? And sure, she she is kidnapped, and she views herself as 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 being kidnapped, and she's trying to get away from him for a period of time. And finally, it's her chance to get away here, and she sees him uh, turn, you know, resurrect this 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 deer, and that is the turning point for now. She wants to be with him and likes him and, and eventually falls in love with him. But that is such a weird turning point that it doesn't make sense. Yeah, I'm in agreement. I 
I know what they were trying to do with her being sympathetic towards him now that he's not he doesn't mean anyone any harm and he just wants to go home so she's going to help him but I think it was too much of a shift. And, and you do kind of have that throwaway line towards the end towards the end or, or at that right after that where he starts talking about how his his planet is basically utopia they're they they've ultimately accomplished what Hitler uh, wanted to accomplish and they're they're the a mighty race they're the one race they all share the same language and there's no war anymore so apparently on their uh planet hitler won well i don't think there's any jews on his planet <laughs> <laughs> or in this film what about uh some of the other things that didn't make sense scene wise were all the uh, to me were all these strangers out of the blue helping these people Right. You have the the strangers at the motel who knock on their door telling them that the police are breaking into their crappy Mustang. And then later on, you have the the hot rod guy at the truck stop uh, putting together kind of a makeshift gasoline bomb to distract the army so uh, the alien and – and Jenny can make it through the roadblock. Well, let me go back to that first scene where the guy knocks on the door. Then they go as, as far as to throw a vending machine down the stairs to distract the police. They really get invested in these people. And, well, yeah, they really want to stick it to the man yeah. in this movie. Well, <laughs> well, I think you underestimate the uh, the subtle hotness of Karen Allen right. there, Jason. <laughs> and the and then the, the hot rod scene was funny because Karen Allen just kind of stands up in a diner and says, I need to go west. She doesn't say, hey, I need to go to the, the corner. I need to go west. I'll take you west. That was one of my favorite par- parts of this movie. <laughs> and then he makes a bomb. A subtle thing that made me laugh in the movie, and it's not very big, but when Karen tells uh, the alien, the Jeff Bridges character, to go ahead and get her wallet, he breaks out a Velcro wallet. Yeah, that's good. Like I had when I was 10. <laughs> I, when I saw that this is a hour and 54-minute movie, man, it would just drag on and on and on. I uh, this, this felt like Blade Runner and For Your Eyes Only combined. You know, in in this version, like when I saw it for the first time as a kid, I liked it. I thought it was a great movie. When I watched it this time, I got bored during uh, the the middle part. Uh, it, there's just there's too quiet, nothing really going on, but two boring people in a car. And by the middle part, you mean after a spaceship crashed to getting picked up by the aliens at the end, right? Right. <laughs> well, and that you got pretty much the first ten, last ten. And, and again, you talk about this this film. Their only goal, right, is he wants to go home. And what a great novel concept for a for a film: an alien who just wants to go home. Yeah, I haven't heard that before. We're, well, and and I read something about that is that whoever the studio that did Starman actually originally had the rights to both this and E.T. and ultimately thought, nah, 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 they're too similar. Let's get rid of that E.T. movie and let's make Starman. Well, they sound like they're pretty smart people. Yeah. <laughs> but as far as scenes, the only other memorable scene that I that I had that I thought was hilarious, and, and I think Chris mentioned it in, in his summary, was the cops then start chasing them and they see the gun, so while they're racing down the road, uh, they decide to fire a shot or two into the car and then strike uh, uh, Karen Allen in the side, ultimately killing her. Yeah, well, I mean, another scene that, that stuck out with me was the the baby conception scene. So here you are, right before they, they get on the train to consummate their relationship, 
they're in the back of the truck and they and Karen Allen tells Jeff Bridges that she cannot have kids and uh, then they get on this this train that thankfully has very clean hay <laughs> over in the corner of it <laughs> and uh, this is where they they make love as all great and, movies in the 80s they all they all have trains going somewhere and they all have a place to sleep Right, and uh, Jeff Bridges is so nice to her afterwards. He says, last night I gave you a baby, and I'm leaving and never coming back. <laughs> but, so. but there's also a weird scene right around there, too, where he's saying, he tells her, I gave you a baby. Unless you don't want it, then I'll take care of it. And I just imagine him pulling up a, <laughs> pulling up a, a, wire, hanger. a wire hanger from his back and saying, just, okay. And she says, no, 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 I want it. I want it. That was his one last fear. Yeah. So. He, he didn't abort it, so he had to give the thing to the baby when he was gone. <laughs> it shows that aliens are progressive. Very, very pro-choice in this utopian society that was uh, conquered by uh, the master race. And then you have to love when he, when he tells her, our son is going to grow up to, uh, to be a teacher. Right. But be- you just go, hey, man, way to go. Way to strive for mediocrity there. <laughs> hey, hey, teachers make like a total of like $23,000 a year, so... At least he'll have summers off. He's going to be a great kid. And this is a this is a kid. He says he's he's going to be a part of you, a part of your husband. But he's going to know everything that I know. So he'll be a elementary school teacher. <laughs> and he'll be angry because he's got to live on Earth and can't get off. <laughs> and by the way, he's not going to be very coordinated. <laughs> have you seen the way I walk? <laughs> well, what about the uh, stereotypical army in this film? Uh, Obviously, we have this organization known as SETI that is here to explore uh, extraterrestrial intelligence. Uh, but when they finally find an alien on Earth, the army immediately wants to capture and dissect it. Well, that was the purpose of the Voyager discs. You come, we kill. Well, don't give them a gold disc. Why not give them some candy? <laughs> More back like, like Reese's Pieces? <laughs> right. I think uh, that would be the child molesters sending sending out their satellites. So wait, I, um, sorry, I took my headphones off for a second. I had to something. Did you guys? You didn't miss anything. Did you guys talk about how the they want the the government wants to do nothing but dissect rather than get information? No, that's very novel. Let's flesh this out. <laughs> no, did you? Is that what you guys were talking about? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Just want to add it again? No. Sure. As long as you made the point, that's fine. Right. I do think it's funny, though, that, that that's what governments have to do is do autopsies, because if we know what their insides look like, that'll give us all types of information. We don't want to figure out how he's able to touch things and make them work or what these marble, how these marbles work. That won't help well, humanity in any way. That didn't even make sense to me, too, because my impression is that if he just basically took on the form of their, uh, Karen Allen's dead husband, so if they open him up, he's going to look the same. Huh. Con- kind of like the thing has the same the same body no, makeup. No, Matt, totally opposite. Oh, op- no, totally opposite. That, was, that was in the Antarctic. This was in Arizona. <laughs> yeah, and in this one, instead of killing him with fire, you got to freeze him to death. Right. Well, I, no, I, I would love to see that autopsy, and they cut him open. Yep, human heart. <laughs> yep, human brain. Yep, human skeletal system. Shit, we killed this alien for nothing. Well, I like how careless they are with with the alien. Not only do they want to kill him and cut him open, but when they first find the his, uh, I guess UFO, his his spaceship, 
they cut it open, they get in the inside, and immediately the study guy jumps right in. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, whoa. Yeah, I found that weird, That was too. pretty reckless. <laughs> and I like that what they find in there is this invitation to all you aliens out there, please come to Earth so we can dissect you. So we can kill you. <laughs> the government agencies may want to get on the same page on this one. But the government, you know, they're, they're very efficient in this. Yeah, I think the uh, they overestimate how... <laughs> how efficient our government is. Karen Allen makes a phone call from the payphone at the truck stop and is immediately transferred to uh, the Cornell University SETI guy out in the field over a payphone. <laughs> Who's how does this even work? This is before cell phones. Get me the guy that's looking for this alien. Oh, I know who that is. Hold, please. I, I imagine the, the operator from the Andy Griffith show. Well, ultimately, there are some things that do make sense and do work in this film, and Chris kind of brought it out, that when Jeff Bridges talks to you know, his alien friends uh, for the pickup, and you know, he can't do it in Wisconsin, he, obviously they send him to the one place where an alien can cross into the United, into the United States, and that's Arizona. Arizona, so, right. <laughs> along those same lines, this guy can bring people back from the dead. He can control, he control machinery. He can protect himself and... And Karen Allen from major explosions, yet he can't use these spheres to more efficiently get him directly to that place he needs to go. They got to take a car in order to accomplish this. Not just Why a car. He just a Cadillac. What I just didn't understand was when he found out that the planet was hostile. Uh, why he just didn't transform himself back into the blue light and just float to Arizona and wait? Yeah. Oh, that would have made a horrible movie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But, but much shorter. <laughs> much shorter. I'm sure that would have only been an hour and a half long. Transform yourself into a bird and fly there. There, there are a million and one things to do. Yeah, it could have been any animal. It didn't have to be uh, a human. Yeah, but then he wouldn't have been able to impregnate uh, Karen Allen. Well, I've seen some donkeys work some magic on some women. <laughs> So the ending, I mean, we talked about a little bit in the summary, but the ending is just horrible in this film. I think it's worse than that. I mean, they do nothing to resolve anything. Jenny has a tremendous amount of emotional problems after losing her husband a year ago. And now an alien that looks like her husband's impregnant her and is going to leave her forever as a single mom. And the movie seems to say, well, all she needed was to get pregnant and everything would be fine. Right. And I mean, I, I have no idea how this works, but, I mean, obviously a female didn't write this. And obviously she a single mom, but this kid is destined to be pretty effed up as he grows up trying to reconcile all this shit. Right. He's not going to be in a spaceship. He's going to be on the short bus. <laughs> I don't think he's even going to make it out of government hands. He leaves her there alone and the government's all around her. They're, they're going to question her. Yeah, you're you're pregnant. You have a magic ball. Oh no, you can go. We yeah. wanted the alien guy. There's no problem. Listen, bitch, we're dissecting somebody, and if it's not that guy, it's your it's you or your fetus. Are there any other uh, scenes or odd tidbits that uh, we haven't talked about that any of you guys wanted to? Yes. Okay. No. Besides the bad middle and ending, I hated the beginning. <laughs> Wait, okay. Wait, well, <laughs> this story could have been told in 80 minutes. Easily. You cut 80 minutes? 80 <laughs> minutes? I thought Steven Spielberg could have made this into an amazing story. <laughs> Clip it at 23 minutes and we're out. 
Yeah, I, I really got nothing else on this uh, on this film. It was long and boring, and the only parts that are memorable uh, don't make sense. I think we killed Patrick. <laughs> no, I just don't have a lot to say about this piece of <laughs> I think this is the last movie I'll be allowed to uh, pick. <laughs> I, I, well, we've, you, we have now instituted a veto rule. <laughs> <laughs> My next pick, Chris, to make up for this is Out of Africa in a four lane. <laughs> oh, with subtitles off. Right. Anything else on Starman? Don't go watch it. The pie was good. <laughs> it, it is a big endorsement for pie. Dutch apple pie or cherry cobbler. E- either way. I- I'm sure you could drive to Winslow, Arizona right now and somebody's got some Starman pie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, better than the Starman jizz. <laughs> well, that stuff comes out upon the quest. <laughs> this love scene made the cocoon uh, alien love scene seem to make sense. Oh, cocoon was much better. Yeah. Matt, why don't you start us off with uh, wrapping it up? Yeah, I saw it as a I saw it as a kid. Uh, the only thing I remember about it is that he liked pie. <laughs> That's the only thing that, that I remember from the film and, and feeling sorry for him towards the end as a kid, feeling empathetic for him. But, but in watching it again, it is long, it is boring, it doesn't make sense, and it just didn't need to be told. It's a terrible, terrible film. But it stands the test of time. No, it, it's terrible. I don't, don't see this movie. Yeah, I saw it as a kid. <clears throat> I didn't really care for it. As a kid, although I thought the effects as a kid were better than they are now, I was always impressed with, uh, the, for some reason, the map of the United States he throws up on, on the windshield. Other than that, I didn't really care for it. Watching it this last time, I didn't really care for it. Uh, but an interesting point, in 1984, uh, pie is very big. And this movie teaches you that pie is actually something you order at a restaurant as opposed to the pie in Revenge of the Nerds. <laughs> Which came out the same year. That's what that's, I said. Nineteen eighty-four is a big year for pie. That's the joke. <laughs> All right, we're skipping Patrick. Chris, <laughs> uh, I thought this movie was better than Cats. Uh, I'm going to see it again <laughs> and again. That's pretty much all I got to say about it. You know, what about as a kid? Did you like it? Uh, I liked it as a kid. Actually, I don't know what the hell my problem was. <laughs> I did not really enjoy this tale of uh, an alien and his balls. Um, you know, it's I, I, I remember seeing it as a kid. I remember it, thinking it was okay, a little bored with it. I was extremely bored with it as an adult. I think the concept is sound. I think, you know, an alien coming to Earth because he was invited by the Voyager disc. I like that. And then, you know, meeting hostile intent. I think that's a good idea. I don't appreciate the the kind of dramatic, romantic, dramatic take they put on this. I don't. I don't think it's necessarily very interesting. It's not for me. However, based on te- you know, for test of time, I think anybody who liked it back then would probably still like it now. Oh, disagree. Yeah, I, but I'm not saying I don't like it. I didn't like it extraordinarily back then. I don't like it now. I, in fact, I think it's even more so. I think that I agree with Matt. It's way over long. I, I think you could have made this story, told this story in a much shorter format. Um, but anybody who was a big fan of it back then, probably, well, with the exception of possibly Chris, was yeah. is probably a big fan of it today. I don't think it looks extraordinarily dated. I don't think it the acting's 
poor. I think it's just, you know, just uninteresting. Yeah, and that's why I think the audiences are more sophisticated and they would require something else than this, but it is absolute drivel at this, uh, the story itself. So that's where I'm saying it doesn't stand the test of time. And that's <clears> why I think people who did like it then would say, wow, this was boring. Tron has a better story. Yeah. And that's saying a lot. Yeah. The Smurfs <laughs> have a better story. <laughs> this body has a terrible emptiness. This is called hungry. Yeah, and when people get hungry, they have to eat food. Eat. Yes, we must do that. We will stop at food station. You have hungry too. I'm starving. I haven't eaten since. I do know the rules. Oh, well, for your information, pal, that was a yellow light back there. I watched you very carefully. Red light stop. Green light go. Yellow light go very fast. All right, well, that was Starman. Glowing, uh, that's very high, <laughs> very high praise from uh, lunchtimemoviereview.com. Uh, keep checking us out on Facebook. We update that daily with interesting and unique uh, posts. Check out the webpage. Uh, send us an email at comments at lunchtimemoviereview.com and keep listening. we got to get out of here right now, and you guys are invited. podcast is not endorsed by Sony Pictures Home Entertainment and is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. Starman, all names and sounds of Starman characters, and any other Starman-related items are registered trademarks and or copyrights of Sony Pictures Home Entertainment or their respective trademark and or copyright holders. All original content of this podcast is intellectual property of Lunchtime Movie Review, Movie House Memories, and Fuzzy Bunny Slippers Entertainment, LLC, unless otherwise noted.